Alrighty. If you have a copy of God's Word or a Bible volume, why don't you go to the book of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Um, we're going to be in the book of Mark for, gosh, the next couple of weeks or so. Um, it's a little bit of a longer book. There's 16 chapters in it. And so instead of doing like a like a verse by verse, like what we did with Colossians, we're going to almost do like idea by idea. But we're going to be in the same series as what we ended last year with, uh, where the series is called Jesus, King and Servant. The whole thing is, is talking about like who Jesus is, like what was his life, like what all happened, but then why is that a big deal? And then how should that impact how we follow him as Christians, okay? And so um, my question that I want to kind of get us uh, thinking about is this. Have you ever uh, been like talked into doing something or persuaded or, or manipulated into doing something and then once you are there, you found out that they lied the entire time and it was dumb and you hated it. It could be a paper plane competition. It could be taking a specific class in school. It could be, hey, work here, man. It's going to be awesome. And you're there two weeks and you're like, you lied. Like what, whatever it is, it, it, like you kind of have like the general idea, hey, take this professor. Like they're great. No, they're mean and evil. I mean, like whatever it is. Well, personally, I, I remember sharing this a uh, couple months ago that uh, I, I joined the Army. I was in the Army for six years, and then so I had to go through, like, basic training. I had to do all of that stuff, and the whole reason why I joined was really for one reason, and everyone that's, like, in high school, like, public school or something like that has probably heard of it, that you can get, like, tuition assistance where they say, they promise you, hey, we'll pay for your school. That was why I joined. No matter how selfish or how holy I want to try to make it, yeah, I'd try to join for free school. I found out, though, that when they say free school, it's to certain schools, and it's also so many credit hours a semester. And if, so if you don't know what credit hours are, then I, I get it. But pretty much what they said is like, hey, we will pay for like half of your like class cost, but for like two classes a semester. If you know anything about college, you normally can take anywhere between like three and five, and like five's like a full load, right? So they're saying, no, we'll, we'll pay for like half of two a semester. So technically, you, you, if you stay in for seven, ten years, yeah, my college could be paid for if I went to the right schools. I, I did not. So I still owed over ten grand in like student loans and stuff after I graduated. So it's really sad. But I literally was sitting there being like, you told me this. You promised me this. And I feel lied to now that I'm here. And guys, I, I start there because I want to kind of transition a little bit to like, uh, really, I mean, Christianity. Well, that's why we're all here, like to talk about it. But has anyone ever heard of like, hey, following Jesus is like this, but then you kind of hear something else from somebody different. Or you read the Bible and it's like, that's not at all what I thought following Jesus was like. You know, so um, like, when you read the Bible, when you hear stories, or when you hear someone preaching saying, this is what it means to follow Jesus, but you hear culture and you hear uh, social media, you hear your friends or your family members say, eh, really, like following Jesus is this. Guys, I start there because what happens when that happens? When, when what the Bible says and what your friends say about Jesus don't agree, what, what does that do for us? The easiest thing, like, or not the easiest thing, the hardest and saddest, really, but the quickest thing that happens is when you hear following Jesus means you have to do this, the easiest and quickest thing, you just bail. You're like, 
I'm out. I don't, I, I don't want to follow Jesus because if that's what it means, eh, I'm good. I don't want to do that. The next thing, uh, really, that you could do is you really just get horribly depressed and frustrated and mad. You're like, God, I'm following you. I trust you. I love you. But life still sucks. And I'm sick. And I'm sad. And I'm tired. And I'm hurt. And the situations are, are horrible. And why is this happening? And so you're just kind of confused. It's like, God, what are, what are we doing? I, I thought we were good. I'm following you. But why is life hard? And so we're starting there because what I want to do is there's, I've kind of like two main goals for what I want tonight to look like. Um, the first thing is the whole message is going to be three different lies that all of us are going to hear about following Jesus. Every single one of us hears these three lies in one way or the other. But then the, the kind of more than that, I want to make sure that every person in this room is asking themselves a couple questions to really find out if you are actually a follower of Jesus or not. I can't tell you if you are a Christian or not. Your mom or your dad can't tell you if you're a Christian or not. That's a thing between you and God, okay? And I want to make sure that we are all asking the questions, being like, hey, am I taking this real for me, or am I just doing this because I'm just playing the games or whatever my parents want to do? And so that's the goal for tonight. And so the big idea, where we're going uh, for the rest of the night is this, that following Jesus is hard, it's simple, and it's worth it. It's hard, it's simple, and it's worth it. And so we're going to see this here in kind of the first chapter of Mark. And so um, a little bit of context behind the book of Mark. Uh, it's one of four Gospels in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was kind of historically like saying like, hey, this was probably the first one that was written. Okay, and the whole purpose of this book written was it's like, hey, all of the people who were kind of around Jesus are dying. And so we want to make sure that we have, in one place, the story of Jesus, okay? We want to know, like, hey, this is what Jesus did. This is who he said he was. This is what happened. And then what's crazy, too, is that this book was also kind of the first thing to kind of let us know, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, this is what it looks like. It's this word called, like, discipleship. If you are a disciple of Jesus, like a follower of Jesus, this is this is what it looks like. Um, some church scholars say that... Uh, disciple Peter was actually the one with Mark who wrote it to kind of give his influence. He was, he was telling his story, hey, and then we did this, and then we did this, and then we did this. And so Peter is kind of the one, this is almost like the gospel through Peter's lens, okay? But this was written uh, roughly around like the first part of like the 50s AD, not like 1950s, but like 50s AD, okay? And there was this emperor in Rome, his name was Claudius, so you can fact check me if you want to, but the, the emperor was persecuting not just Christians, but also Jews. And so this was written in a time where following Jesus is not the cool thing to do. It's hard. People went to prison. People died. Like, that is kind of the backdrop of people who would read this. It wasn't written to Jewish uh, believers any, anyway. It was written to people who didn't know the Old Testament. They didn't understand all the rules. They didn't get the culture. They were written to people really like us, where it's like, man, if you just open the Bible and you're reading the Old Testament, you're like, what is this? What are they doing? That's really the context of how this book was written, okay? And so the first part opens up so different than all the other Gospels do. All the other Gospels say, like, they talk about Jesus either as a baby or before time and, like, all these things like that. Like, 
all the stuff before Jesus' ministry. And the book of Mark just says, hey, here's Jesus. Here he's, here is who he is. It's super cool. It's literally like Jesus is the son of God, and that's it. And we just get right into it. And so in the first eight verses, you hear um, the Old Testament prophet saying, yeah, this is the God. He is the king. He's the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting years for, like thousands and thousands of years for. He's the king, the promised one. And so they're saying like, hey, he is, he is the guy. And then there's this guy named John the Baptist, and he's almost like this New Testament prophet that's doing the same thing. He's being like, hey, he is the guy. And so then in verse 9, you hear uh, John the Baptist, he then baptizes Jesus. So to start Jesus' ministry, his triumphant, his, his glorious kind of entry into the world, he starts his ministry by being baptized. So fun fact, if you've never been baptized, I really encourage you to do it. It's a fun thing where, I mean, it's, you, you get wet, but like it's this cool thing where it's, you get to kind of partake in what Jesus did like on the cross. It's like, it's all symbolic. It's like you died, were buried, resurrected. It's super cool. If you've never been baptized, talk to your small group leader. We'd love to get you dunked. But what Jesus was doing, why he got baptized is because it's like him and John the Baptist were like kind of like, yeah, I'm the guy you're talking about. You're the guy that I'm talking about. This is the guy. And in this baptism, you like the voice of God literally was like, hey, this is the guy. So you have all the Old Testament prophets. You have the New Testament prophets. You have God himself all saying Jesus is the guy, the one that we have been waiting for. And so that is where we're going to start. We're going to start in verse 12. Um, but before we get there, I want to say this. Imagine this. You're, you're reading the story. You, you are a person where you have waited for the king your entire life. And not just your entire life, but your family's entire life for thousands of years before that. Waited for the king to come. Boom. God says, yeah, this is the guy. The prophets say, this is the guy. John the Baptist says, this is the guy. And then what happens? Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 12. This is what it says. The Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So the promised king, the promised Messiah that everyone's been waiting for, his grand entrance into the world, he gets baptized, like, hey, we're starting the ministry. And then he gets put in a situation where he's physically in danger by wild animals, and then now Satan's personally tempting him. And so... The first thing we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about uh, a couple different lies. And the first lie that we're, we can kind of see through this that we are all here is that being a Christian is easy and I will always be happy. Being a Christian is easy and I will always be happy is the first lie that every single one of us is going to be told. Guys, like, this, this seems simple and none of us would really say, oh, yeah, like, of course, like, I believe that. But every now and then, we always just kind of like it creeps up and not in the, oh, I'm supposed to always be happy. But it creeps up in like what you deserve, what you think you deserve or what you think should happen. Right. I, I since I'm following Jesus, I should get that scholarship. Why not? He wants to give me all this stuff. I should. I follow Jesus. And so I should never get sick. I follow Jesus. I love Jesus. So I should be able to get into that school or get that job or I, I follow Jesus. And so I should have perfect friendships and awesome family relationships with my parents and with my siblings. And 
why, why not? Guys, like, I'm guilty of this. Like, when, you, when I got married, I was, guys, I promise you, I was literally thinking, God, if I love Jesus, she loves Jesus, it's going to be easy. Why not? Like, like, we both are sold out in following Jesus. So why on earth would we ever get frustrated at each other? We're committed disciples of Jesus, so this is going to be a piece of cake. I don't know why all these other people are struggling. And then I got married. And so, like, the whole thing is it's like there's this lie. That I, I love you so much. I, baby, I love you. I love you. But we're sinners. And so, like, the, the whole thing is that we think this is going to be a piece of cake. This should be super easy. And we think that even as a Christian, we can use these words. It's like, man, I have this little bubble. Or, or if you're old school, I have this hedge of protection. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm good. I got a firm foundation. You know, like, like we say all these things. We got songs about them too. And then, like, bad stuff happens. Life is still life. And Jesus, what's crazy is, is I start here, is because, like, Jesus literally modeled it himself of being like, hey, this is going to suck. This is really going to suck. It's going to be hard. And uh, this is not just said here. Jesus literally says this in, in John 16, He tells his disciples, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Thanks, Jesus. Later, uh, Paul, he is writing this uh, kind of this letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He tells um, the, the people reading this, he's like, hey, guys, like, as a Christian, for being a Christian, telling other people about Jesus, I have been thrown in prison. I've gotten beaten up uh, by rocks. I've gotten beaten up by sticks. I've gotten beaten up by whips. I've gotten beaten up by fists. I've been, uh, like, shipwrecked a ton of other times. Like, there's all of these things, and he's like, it's because I'm a Christian. So, yes, life is hard, but Jesus is literally being like, hey, because you're a Christian, it, it might just be a little bit harder. Now, let's be really honest. We are in the Northland of Kansas City. The odds that you get shipwrecked for your faith is slim to none. The fact that you get beaten up or, or have rocks thrown at you is probably not super likely. But you might get what, like a, a bad, a mean joke said about you for being a Christian. You might get made fun of a little bit. You might, um, I don't know, like not get invited to certain things. Like, like what, like, and realistically, it's not an all close in comparison. But what I am saying is that being a Christian, following Jesus, is not going to be easy, and you will not always be happy following Jesus. But here is um, what I have to do, and this is before we go, in, uh, go into it, I want to ask you this question. Um, what will it take to make you quit? Like, what will it take for you to stop following Jesus? Will it take you not getting invited to so many parties or being made fun of so many times that it's like, all right, that's the limit, I'm out. Will it take you um, to get, you know, shipwrecked or have rocks thrown at you? Like, what will it take to make you quit? Because as soon as you can answer that on the front end, it's going to be really helpful to just be like, all right, if that's it, then why wouldn't Satan want to do that to you? Like, 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 let's be really honest. Like, like, Satan, and he's got all these demons and stuff. Like, they were doing all this stuff. They were tempting Jesus. So why would he not want to do that towards us? Why would he not want to do the thing that's going to make us quit? So, again, only you can answer this. What will it take to make you quit? 
But again, thinking of Jesus, like Jesus went first. He, he is not going to tell us to do something that he himself didn't do. And so let's go back to John 16, In the whole verse, this is the coolest part, says this. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. God doesn't promise us happiness and, and uh, protection and security and stuff from the world. Like what he does like promise us is peace, a peace that only he can provide, a peace that only he can give. And he says, hey, I have overcome the world. This is the work that's going to happen on this side of eternity, and that's okay. But Jesus is being like, hey, I will give you peace through that. And so the lie is that the Christian life is easy. But here's the truth. The truth is that we can have peace in Jesus knowing uh, that he he knows exactly what we're going through and that he has overcome the world. The lie is that the Christian life is easy, but the truth is that life is hard, and it's sad, but we can have peace with Jesus. So it keeps going. Uh, Mark 1, 14 says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So what's the second lie about the Christian life that all of us are going to hear? That following Jesus is complicated. Guys, like, and you, you probably heard this, like, you know, how many times have you probably heard all being a Christian is, is doing this, 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 and this, and then not doing this, not doing this, especially not doing that. Like, and that's all Christianity is. It's all a bunch of, you do rules, don't do a bunch of other rules. And so then you are a better Christian the more rules you do know, and you're a worse Christian the more rules you break. And that's all, and so Christianity is all about knowing stuff. Guys, like, it, Christianity is not that complicated at all. Becoming a follower of Jesus is not complicated. If you want to follow Jesus, he himself says, hey, you need to repent and believe in the gospel. So repent, like, we, we see, use this word a lot, but it's like, or not like we in context, but like here, we've used that word a lot. It's one of those churchy words that no one really likes. It doesn't flow off the tongue easy. It's like, you're not going to say, repent. You know, no one's going to get goosebumps from that. It's, it's not a happy word. But the word repent literally means, like, you need to, like, stop. You need to recognize, like, what you're doing is wrong, and you're going to turn the other way. That's repent. You, you stop. You recognize, hey, what I am doing is wrong, and I'm going to go the other way. And then when Jesus says, hey, now believe in the gospel, believe the gospel, Jesus is, like, literally, th- he's saying, hey, believe that I am who I say I am. Believe that I have literally done the things that I've done. And then we uh, submit to him as king. We'd be like, hey, God, whatever you want, it's all yours. It says like in Romans 10, um, like, hey, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's, it's this whole idea of, hey, yeah, like you're in charge. And so simply, like what does it mean to follow Jesus? Like what does it take to follow Jesus? In one word, the, probably the easiest word um, that I could think of is surrender is you just surrender everything to Jesus. So do you need to know all the rules to become a follower of Jesus? No. There's thousands of them in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. ton of rules. You don't have to know all of them. You don't have to know any of them. Do you need to know the words to the songs on the screen, whether it's a new one or not? No. Do you have to raise your hands in worship to be a Christian? Also no. 
Like, you have to know the right thing to say when, you're right, when your friend is hurting or anything like that. Again, no. Do you have to give your entire life to Jesus? Yes. That's it. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, all you have to do is be surrendered to Jesus. Again, believe what he has, believe that what he said he is, who he is, is who he is. And so here is kind of the the question. Like when you hear something, uh, either through like through the Bible, because the Bible is the ultimate authority. What I'm doing right now is not the authority. What the word, like what the Bible has to say is the authority. When the Bible and what you think you're supposed to do, when they disagree, what do you do then? And that is how you can tell whether or not your life is surrendered or not. Like if you, if you read what God has to say, you get to ask yourself, am I going to do what I want to do or am I going to do what God wants me to do? And that's how you can tell whether your life is surrendered or not. And that's what's going to keep on happening. So, like, there's these uh, questions like, hey, can you be a Christian and be blank? Can I be a Christian and blank? Guys, let's let's play a game. Let's fill in the blank. Um, Can you be a Christian and be gay? Can you be a Christian and struggle with gender identity? Can you be a Christian and be racist? Can you be a Christian and struggle with, oh, check this out, selfish? Can you be a Christian and be prideful? See, let's... Like, we like to throw in, like, the other sins and stuff until we get to our own. Can you be a Christian and be disrespectful to your parents? Can you be a Christian and be mean to your siblings? Like, you fill in the blank like that, and it's like, uh, the whole thing has to do, do, is your life surrendered to Jesus? Where if the Bible says, here's this, when you look at it, are you going to surrender your life to Jesus? Are you going to surrender that action or that habit or that addiction, whatever it is, or are you going to do what you want to do? That's the question. But here is even the harder question then. If following Jesus means surrender to your life, why would anyone want to surrender their life to Jesus? Really? Like why, like why would you want to give your life to Jesus and say, hey, whatever you want, it's all yours? Or let's even take a step further. How in the world can you convince someone else to give their life to Jesus? If following Jesus means surrender, how can you convince someone that doesn't even believe in Jesus to give their whole life to Jesus? And you can say the things like, all right, yeah, there's heaven, there's eternal life, there's the peace uh, from Jesus that only Jesus can provide. He's overcome the world. Like there's, there, there's all these things, and those are great things, and you should bring those up but that's like half of the story. That's half of the things like, why would you surrender your life to Jesus? And it goes back to that first word of of repent because repenting means that you've done something wrong. And if you've done something wrong, you've done something wrong against God, that means that you've sinned, right? And when you sin, that means that there's this debt now against God that needs to be forgiven. Either you have this mountain of debt from all the sins, all the wrong things that you've done, and when, we, when it comes to repenting, repenting is like literally we get to ask God, hey, can you forgive this? And what's so, what's mind-blowing is that Jesus is literally like, yes, and I'll do it. I'll do it quick. I'll, I will do it so fast. All I need from you is to repent, and all of that debt is forgiven. You need to just admit what you did was wrong, turn to me, and I will forgive it so quick. You can't even believe it. And when we think of it like that, yes, heaven is incredible. I can't wait for it. But 
here is, here is the whole thing of it all. The whole thing of all of this is it's like, I want to be where my Savior who forgave my sins is. That's the whole thing. Like, I don't, I don't really give a rip about heaven. I want to be with Jesus because Jesus forgave my sins. And so why would we ever want to tell anyone, hey, surrender your life to Jesus? It's because we have, like, that means that we, like, fully grasp, or not even fully grasp, we can't fully grasp it. We're like, man, God forgave me. That makes no sense. And that's why we worship God, and that's why we sing to God, and that's why we love God. It's because it's like, man, I had a debt. I couldn't pay it. He paid it, even though the debt was against him in the first place. Like, it's wild, and it doesn't make sense. But all that does is it's like, man, like, I would surrender my life to him. He deserves it. He literally forgave all of my sins. And because of that, then, we have to think about this, that Jesus is the only one that can forgive sin. You can't forgive sin yourself. Like, you just can't do it. If you owe a debt against somebody else, you can't say, it's paid in full. I got it. No. Someone has to pay that debt. And Jesus is the only one that can pay that debt. And if you know Jesus, and you have friends that don't know Jesus, you should tell them about Jesus so then their, their debt and their sins can be forgiven too. Like, really, that's the whole, like, point of evangelism is telling other people about Jesus. It's like being like, hey, I know the guy that can forgive sins, but we have to go and tell them. On a Saturday at one night here, we uh, had, like, our New Year's Eve party. Um, it was a ton of fun. And one of the last things that we did, I guess just on the second half, is we turned off all the lights and we played, like, hide-and-go-seek in the dark. Right? It was fun. And then we transitioned from that game into sardines, Okay. If you've never played sardines, it's literally like hide-and-go-seek, but only one person's hiding. And then when you find the person, you just have to, like, fit in that room or that closet or, or wherever it is with that person. Right? And so then it's whoever the last person is to find the person. It's not like really loses because it's not like there's really – it's like a losing thing. It's just more of a ha-ha, you're the last one. But um, so we're playing sardines, and my boy Tyler is the one who, who goes to hide. So he goes and he finds this corner to hide in, and everyone else, there's, gosh, there was, there was like 20 of us that went to go find, and we're just in the warehouse. Like, it's not, it's not a big warehouse. I mean, they're here in all the offices. And so we look for Tyler. All the lights are off. And eventually what happens is, is in the, the conference room gets stupid dark if there's no lights on in there. But I, I, I hop in there. And there, I can just tell, there's like 15 people in this conference room. I was like, oh, sweet, we found them. Good, 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 good. But then there was these four ladies that were in um, one of the offices. And I'm like, hey, he's in here. Like, come on. And they all just go, nah, we're not going to play. Like, we're not playing anymore. I'm like, no, like, the game is literally over. If you come, like, across the hallway into this room, the game's over. Like, it's okay. Like, just come over here. And they say, Nah. And I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. You guys party poopers or so. And so then it's like, all right, guys, we're done. We'll start another round. And we turn the light on in the conference room. Tyler wasn't in there. So I don't know who started, but there's a room of 15 people just sitting in the dark, and Tyler wasn't even in there. And so then everyone's like, it's like the Spider-Man meme. Everyone's just pointing at each other. It's like, we have to turn the lights back off. We have to keep going because we haven't found them yet. 
And so then I, I go into the room with the four ladies, and then I just kind of see Tyler sitting in the corner. And I'm like, oh, my God. I've been bamboozled. Like, it was literally, like, it was one of those, like, I cannot believe myself. But guys, like, what was really funny about that is, like, yeah, like, no one knew. No, no one knew that he wasn't in there because the lights were off, you know. And I'm sure everyone's like, Tyler, Tyler. But as soon as you get a couple people deciding in there, then everyone's just like, all right. But guys, I, I start there because every single person who doesn't know Jesus or is following or worshiping like a fake version of Jesus that doesn't exist and it's not biblical is like us in that room. It's dark. We don't know what we're doing. And we're lost. And at the end of the day, we're going to lose the game. But there's so many of us that are like the ladies in the room where they know the answer. They know where the, where the truth is. If you want to win, it's right here. If you want to be on the side, that is right. You want to you be on the winning team. You want to be where you're supposed to be. You just All you have to do is say, no, you come over here. I found it right here. But instead, they're like, nah, you guys just go over there. Guys, there's, that's so many of us where we have the truth. We know Jesus personally. We have him. It's like, hey, like I have the peace that only can come from Jesus. But there's so many of us that are like just scared or nervous to then tell him with other people, the people who are looking for the answer. And that's all it is, is we just get to tell other people, hey, here is the truth. He's right here. So the lie is that being a Christian is really complicated. It's, this is so not. The truth, all it takes to be a Christian is surrender. That's it. Before we move on, if you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you know that Jesus is the only one that can forgive sins. You know that Jesus is the, is the way, the truth, the life. He's the peace that uh, literally no, nothing else can touch. Why don't you tell somebody about it? But Mark 1, 16, we're going to finish here. Uh, we're going to read these next couple verses. It says this. Uh, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, uh, he, meaning Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Third and finally, the, the third lie that we are going to be told is that I can be a Christian and not be all in. You are going to be told every single day for the rest of your life that you can be a Christian but, and not be all in. There are these two groups of brothers. It was uh, Simon and Andrew and then uh, James and John. And when God calls them, it says they immediately throw their nets down. They leave their father, and then they just immediately go follow Jesus. Now, so, yes, there's like culturally and in this context, like Jesus was physically with them, and so they could leave their job and then go follow Jesus and go live with him and go talk with him and, and sleep under the same tent and everything like that. But the heart is still the same. The heart is the same as what we were sharing earlier, that following Jesus means surrender. Like, these people, they left their jobs, they left their home, they left their family, they left what was comfortable, they left what they knew to then go follow Jesus. 
And so my question to you is what does it mean for you to follow Jesus? What does it mean for your life to be fully surrendered to Jesus? You guys, what's so sad is like I've, I've, I've lost like half of y'all because either for some reason you, we think, oh, I have heard this before. You say the same thing like every other week. Give us something more. And in all reality, friends, like here, let me just be really honest. Some of y'all know way more Bible than I do. Some of y'all know way more stories. You've read the Bible more than I do. Like all of these things. But instead of knowing more, I really think that some of us need to know less and do more with what we have instead of knowing more and doing less. I'm talking simple stuff like tell other people about Jesus. It's about simple stuff like if you are a follower of Jesus, it means being fully surrendered to God. And, and what does it look like for you to be fully surrendered to God? That could mean stopping an addiction. That could mean starting a relationship or starting a, a better habit of getting into the word. Like it could mean, like whatever it is, like what, if you know God is telling you, I need you to do this, being surrendered means being obedient and doing that. If you know God is saying, stop this, then being fully surrendered to God means stopping that. It could be serving your parents. It could be being proactive and taking the trash out or doing dishes, like whatever it is. The question is, what does it mean for you to be fully surrendered to Jesus? The lie that you are going to be told for the rest of your life is that you can be a Christian and not be all in. That is a lie. You cannot be a cultural Christian. You can't be a Christian because you got baptized. You can't be a Christian because you go to church on Sunday. You can't be a Christian because you get bonus points by going to the bridge on a Wednesday night. No, the lie is you can be a Christian but not be all in. The truth is this, that a Christian is fully surrendered to Jesus. No plan B, no going back, no matter the cost. That is what a Christian is, sold out for Jesus, fully surrendered. If you are a Christian and you have not been baptized, go for it. Jesus did it. Talk to your small group leader if you have any questions about that. If you are a Christian, like what are some of those things that you know God wants you to get rid of in your life? Do that. What are those things that God wants you to start doing? Do that. If you are a Christian, go tell somebody. Go share that good news with somebody else. If you're kind of like on the line, like, am I a Christian? Like, it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe, like, I don't know. Like, I really just hope that if anything, that this message has just brought clarity to let you know either you are a Christian or you're not a Christian. Because the worst thing that can happen is you leave this place thinking you are a Christian, but you're not. And you're just lying to yourself, your parents, and your friends, and your siblings, and that's it. Guys, like, life's too short. Like, let's be real about that. If you are not a Christian, like, I'm so glad you're here. This, this is a place where I get to joyfully tell you forgiveness is so here. Like, it is available for everything you've ever done in your past, present, and future. Like, Jesus did all of this because he loves you. So I'm not trying to shame people either. Like, I want people to hear that good news message. But it does cost surrender. Heavenly Father, uh, we love you. <laughs> but thank you so much for loving us first. God, like you sent Jesus here on this like dirty, messed up earth for dirty, messed up people. And we are so in debt. We're in debt to you. And 
And God, we're just so grateful that you have saved us. And so I just pray, God, that if there's anyone that doesn't know you like that, like they're carrying around that weight of, of debt and sin, I pray that they would just confess it to you. That they would know that forgiveness is there, not from us, like we don't matter, like from you, God. And I pray if there's people in here who are believers, they're sold out, they're committed to you, God, I pray that you would kind of use your Holy Spirit to uh, kind of stir in us. What do we need to do? I pray that we would be people that would be so eager and willing and joyfully uh, just ready to tell other people that forgiveness is, is there for them too. God, we worship you. In Jesus' name.